Nerds. Hello. Did you ever try to draw a dagger? Let's play a little game. Get a piece of paper and draw your best dagger. And towards the end of the episode, we're going to assess your work. That's all I'm going to say for now. Today's episode is a fun one. Today we're talking about tattoos with Matt McDaniel. Matt is a friend. Uh, We're both from the same hometown area. Uh, Once upon a time, we got into loads of trouble together. Well, I guess we didn't really get into trouble because we generally didn't get caught. Matt currently resides in Cortland, New York, where he has a tattoo shop called Mostly Harmless. You should go check it out. It's in a fun and funny location. Uh, He does all sorts of tattoos, and a lot of them tend to be nerdy or nerd-adjacent. In that respect, I mean comics, pop culture, movies, cartoons, references to whatever you got in mind. I'm not going to try to summarize his work, because I know I won't do it justice. He's got a lot of styles, too, not just content, uh, so you should see what he's done. Go to Get Rad Tattoos. Uh, actually, there's underscores in that. Get underscore rad underscore tattoos. But even if you just search for Get Rad Tattoos with or without spaces, Instagram manages to find it. So good job, Instagram. Uh, so go to Get Rad Tattoos on Instagram to see a full gallery of his work. And I think if you're into nerd shit, that you can find some inspiration there. So yeah, we talk about tattoos. But to be honest, he and I spend a lot of time talking about something that he and I each really love, the 90s. But at the same time, it feels like we're talking about something much more than the 90s, something much bigger, uh, like culture, maybe, trends, repeated cycles. Matt and I definitely have a lot of overlap in our personal cultures, but uh, we both wander off in our own directions, too. Whether we're talking about video games, punk rock, rap, style of jeans, media formats like VHS in this conversation, we talk about the decade that we hold so dear over 20 years later. And we recognize, too, that it wasn't all perfect. We may be dads now, but we're resisting being the old man on the porch. If you lived through the 90s, I think you're going to enjoy this episode hearing about. It's, I think it's going to evoke a lot of nostalgia. If you didn't live through the 90s, or at least if you weren't a teenager in the 90s, you might want to get ready to take some notes. The things we talk about might just be the hot new throwback trend next month. Enjoy. I assume people were hesitant to get tattoos, especially in the very beginning. Um, yeah, I keep wondering like what, how much of my business has been affected by COVID, but I don't really have a good like control because like not only is COVID a thing, but like I've changed shops twice in the past year. I changed what city I was working in too. So like, plus we opened up right before the dead season. I opened my own shop right before the dead season. So it's like how much of my business is being affected negatively by COVID and how much of it is my own actions and how much of it is just the natural ebb and flow of tattooing. Like I had a few customers who like, were like, I'm going to wait until like something gets figured out. Um, but I mean, for the most part, once we were able to go back to tattooing, every single, like almost every single person that I had to cancel, like rescheduled right away. Cool. Yeah. I'm not complaining. I've been keeping busy. So that's cool. I'm as busy as I want to be which is uh, what I'm shooting for. Nice. So I guess 
we, we, we should open the show. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matt McDaniel, tattoo artist extraordinaire. <laughs> thank you very much. It's nicer than I would refer to myself, but thank you. I appreciate it. First and foremost, because usually I throw this information at the end of the episode and I okay. sometimes forget, what's the name of your shop? Where can people find you and your stuff online and in person? Uh, so the name of my shop is Mostly Harmless Tattoos. Cool. Uh, it's a reference to uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in case you didn't know. 42, I've got my towel. <laughs> uh, we are located in Cortland, New York, in central New York. Um, it's we're, we're a private studio. It's me and one other artist, uh, my buddy Evan, uh, and appointment only. Uh, we're off the beaten trails. We're inside of a bank building, actually. So it's pretty cool. Uh, but if you want to find me online, uh, I do mostly everything through Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at get underscore rad underscore tattoos. So that's at get rad tattoos. Get uh, rad. Instagram name. So our intention today is to talk about tattoos a little bit. Um, you, like me, have a certain penchant for, let's just say the 90s. But <laughs> may maybe when we get up to that part, we can pick apart what we actually mean by that. Yeah. So what else have we got? How are you? Is everything by you? Uh, everything's going great, as you know, for the most part. Uh, the shop opened up back in June of this year. Whirlwind of a process. Found the location pretty quickly. Got moved in. Got started. I think it took us about a week to get the shop up and running. Toiling away ever since. Yeah, it's been it's pretty crazy. It's not what I thought my own shop would be. Um, I wasn't even entirely sure I would ever open my own shop. Um, but. You know, you kind of you have this you have a vision in your head of what life is going to be, and then life actually happens, and you have to adjust what that vision is. But I wouldn't change where I'm at for anything. I'm pretty happy with the situation that I have right now as far as working goes. I mean, how is it different? Does that mean like you have to do your own books? You have to keep your own appointments? You have to everything? Well, I mean, that was that was always that was never uh, <laughs> the vision. I always I kind of always thought saw myself opening more of a traditional street shop with, you know, like the flash on the walls and the cool shit everywhere. And the, can I curse? Am I allowed to curse? Right. Okay. Um, and like, you know, like having walk-ins and, you know, having other artists working for me and like really kind of like being a, a boss to people. Um, but I feel like that kind of way of doing business in this industry is slowly fading away. Um, we're becoming less and less reliant on other people for things. Like, uh, I mean, when I first started tattooing, especially when I moved to a new city, it was like crucial that I was at a shop that had a strong walking clientele because right. how else would I build my business up? But, you know, with the, the advent of social media and the likes of that thing, it's a lot easier to kind of build up your clientele through just posting online i mean i've had a few people that said they found me just through instagram that's awesome uh, yeah it's weird but it's awesome and then in the physical world they were close enough to you to get to you because somebody yeah. might find you from instagram and they might be in abu dhabi yeah well that's why like i never really put too much pressure on myself as far as my instagram life because just because I have like 20 million followers doesn't mean I'm doing 20 million tattoos. No. <laughs> so, no, definitely um, not. I mean, a, a lot of it is super organic. Like I commented on 
someone's picture and the person who had that the, the tattoo was on saw that I had commented on it and checked out my profile and started following me and became a customer. So, And if you're just meeting Matt for the first time now, I do recommend that you check out his stuff, uh, Get Rad Tattoos. I got that right? Yep. You've, you've got some interesting styles. Uh, for a while, you were doing a lot of like the watercolor look. Yep. I think that's pretty cool looking. Thank you. And you seem to... You seem to specialize in, dare I say, nerd shit. <laughs> yes. Some good video game references, yep. anime stuff, uh, various cartoons. A lot of a lot of your stuff is near and dear to my heart, so I always love to see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, when I first moved up to Syracuse and upstate New York, I was working at a shop that was very pop culture focused, um, which was awesome because. I've always, like, throughout my entire career, I've always loved doing, like, quote-unquote nerdier tattoos and doing, like, more pop culture-focused stuff because, I mean, that's what I'm into. That's the, the style of art that I'm into. So I was able to kind of, like, carve a little bit of a niche for myself and doing the pop culture stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's not the only thing I love doing. I love doing more traditional work, too. But, I mean, the watercolor thing came out of, for me, that was, like, bridging the gap between the art that I was into outside of tattooing and what was possible inside of tattooing. Um, I was always, I've always been kind of a drawn to more in, in the, in the realm of fine art. I was always kind of more drawn towards, um, abstract and abstraction. Um, so being, seeing people doing that as tattoos, I always thought was like, was interesting and new and something I hadn't seen before. So, um, I kind of dived into that a little bit. Um, I have style ADD, so, I mean, if you if you ask me, like, what I love doing, it'll probably change by this time next year. Because, I mean, for a while I was super into watercolor. I mean, now I find myself being drawn more back to traditional tattooing. But I just, I, I came from a world where it was like, you need to be able to do whatever walks through the door. Whatever so being well-versed want. in styles is is important. So, I, to me, it's I, I feel it's important to be well-versed in styles. Hmm. I think that's probably a strength to have style ADD. <clears throat> yeah. That's, that's interesting too. I'm mean, something that I thought about when I was you know thinking about talking to you about this topic is, um, I don't mean this as like a negative thing. Like, are you, are you familiar with like the Myers Briggs personality typing? Vaguely. It's like this thing that it's, it's a, it's a personality quiz that, um, actually I just like learned about it properly from this, uh, this NPR podcast. But it's it's really found a home in like in industry companies used it for a while to to type people and figure out like what kind of tasks they'd be good at, what kind of job they'd be good in. And there's four different dimensions. And like the first one's introverted versus extroverted. I don't want to bore you with all the types. And then the last one is perceiving versus judging. And I think that I know about myself that I am strongly perceiving leaning and I wish that I was more judging and I think that I'd probably get a lot more done if I did, if I had more hard formed opinions. I think of you as somebody who, you know what your opinions are and you wear your heart on your sleeve and you know, your, your feelings about something are, are very obvious in your face and in your reaction and mm. you, you don't really hold back. So when you're doing somebody's tattoos, like 
how much do you help that help guide them in what they want or if they're like nope i want um you know some stupid shit and they describe um, it i think it's it's a little bit of a give and take um, as long as what they are asking for is uh like feasible from a from a technical standpoint um because there's a very technical aspect to tattooing i mean it's it's you, you know, it has to be something that's going to, you know, for me, it's going to, it, it has to be a tattoo that's going to stand the test of time. Um, as yeah. far as like subject matter goes, I'm a little less uh, judgmental because it's not my tattoo. It's not my place to say what, what is or isn't cool for you. Um, I've spent way too much of my life being told what I'm into isn't cool. <laughs> so for me to say, uh, I don't think your tattoo yeah. idea is cool, so I'm not going to do it. That's, I, I think that's just wrong. Um, you know, what you think is cool is what you think is cool and who am I to judge? So as long as from a technical standpoint, it's a tattoo that I feel like I can pull off and I can, you know, say that, yes, this is, this image will last, it will stand the test of time. Um, if the person does come to me with an idea that I don't think will stand the test of time, I kind of walk them through it and I say like, I try to be as direct and as honest as possible and say like, you know, this is why this will not work. You know, the, the, the lines are going to be too thin or, you know, doing it this way is, you know, it's just the, the color is not going to last or, you know, you know, it, it needs contrast or it needs, you know, the various checkpoints for me that kind of set off what a solid long lasting tattoo need in order to be successful. So I want a full back piece of Urkel, but as a patchwork quilt, I mean, yeah, we could figure it out. We could work. I mean, it, it. It, we, could, we, we could work. We could work. Uh, we could workshop. You're, you're in the right direction by letting me do a full back piece of that because that would need a lot of room to breathe. So, if you were like, I want a, a yeah, I patchwork. Want, I want, Urkel I want this stitches. Big, you know, like the size of a you know dollar bill. Then I'd be like, oh, we need to we need to compromise here, buddy. <laughs> I want it really detailed. I want you to see the stitches and yeah, more tattoos. Yay, more small. tattoo. Cool. Um, how does one get started tattooing? Because it's one of those tasks that at some point there's somebody who is the first person yeah. you tattoo. So that's, it's crazy you ask that because, um, I kind of, I feel like I fell into it, but in the better way to fall into it. Um, so I was the last person that I thought should become a tattoo artist. <laughs> Um, I just, I Why is that? never thought I was good enough. Like I just, I wasn't, you know, talented enough at drawing or an artist to become a tattooer. Um, and it, it was like, it was just like such a huge, crazy thing to me that I was like, there's no way I could ever do that. Um, and then hmm. kind of like as time went on and, you know, I graduated college and I was kind of floundering around and I was like, well, I got to figure something out because what I'm doing isn't working. Um, I became friends with an artist and he kind of showed me the ropes and he let me hold a tattoo machine and like just do some lines on some like fake skin, you know? And from like that, oh. Is, no, I don't know. Yeah, is it, is it that is. a thing? Fake skin is a fake thing. Fake skin's it's, a thing? It's kind of useful in the realm of learning how to tattoo, but ultimately it's not. Uh, I'll get into that in a second, but. Yeah, so he let me just like do some lines on some fake skin. It's like basically a piece of rubber almost that you can just tattoo onto. Okay. Um, and like from that like second, I was hooked. 
And I was like, I need, this is what I need to do. And so he talked to the owner of the shop. They had just fired their shop helper. So they needed like a new assistant or anything like that. And so they brought me on as the apprentice and, you know, from there is another story. But I mean, I think there's, there's two ways to go about becoming a tattoo artist. There's the right way. And then there's the wrong way. Um, for me, I think the right way is to find an artist that will teach you and become an apprentice, do an apprenticeship, pay your dues and learn from somebody who is already established in the industry. That way has its pluses and negatives. And, you know, there's definitely like red flags to look out for doing things that way. Um, the other way is to just buy machines online and figure it out. I've seen plenty of people who have done that and have become successful, but more often than not, they're not successful at it. So um, if you're asking me how to become a tattoo artist, my first response is going to be don't. <laughs> yeah, just full stop. Just stop right there. Oh, just don't full stop. As the, as, as the Brits say. Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I tell people the same thing that was told to me. Uh, I had a friend named Danielle, very talented, talented tattoo artist works out of Atlanta. She was working in Manhattan at the time. And I was like, Danielle, like, how do I become a tattoo artist? And like her initial response was don't. She's like, it's, it sucks. Like, it's really hard. There's no guaranteed income. It's a really hard lifestyle. Uh, just don't do it. And then she's like, and if that's enough to convince you not to do it, then I've done my job. And then she told me how to do it. So I've kind of maintained that attitude too. So like anytime someone says, you know, how do you become a tattoo artist? I always say like, just don't, don't become a tattoo artist. Um, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, you know, and if that, if that's enough for you to not want to become a tattoo artist, then I've done a certain level of gatekeeping, you know? Do you think she was like employing some Kung Fu master technique? Like you have to tell them oh, no, absolutely. like yeah. three times yeah, and like send them away. I mean, um, and it's like, well, you're still yeah. here, so you obviously yeah, I mean, want to do this enough. Know, that's a technique that I would employ too. I mean, it's like if you really want, if you if you listen to any interview with any of like the the greats that are out there, you know, it always kind of starts with you know, like I would I was just hanging out at this tattoo shop. I was I was hanging out, I was hanging out, I was hanging out until finally they said, you know, all right, you're here. Like we might as well use you. You know, okay. I listened to a really great interview with Mike Rubendahl, and. Uh, you know, he got his start at Da Vinci Tattoo on Long Island. And um, he talked about how right. he would just like, he would just hang out at that shop every day. Like after school, he was in high school still. And he would just go there after school and hang out and, you know, just, you know, ask questions. And finally, like the owner was like, all right, just go. We would give him like homework essentially. <laughs> and he'd come back with it and, you know, kind of like seeing, seeing, like seeing what he was made out of. And then he passed all the tests. So he became an apprentice there. How many shops did you work at on Long Island? Just the one or... I, yeah, I started at Lone Wolf. Uh, okay. I did my apprenticeship there. I tattooed there for about a year before I uh, stopped tattooing there. Yeah, and then I don't think you've tattooed me in 12 or 13 yeah. years. <laughs> so I got to find my way up to Cortland. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I have a business connection not too far from there. So once pandemic seeds, we can see what I can pull together. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the area. I, I lived in Rochester for a year, and mm -hmm. there's nothing specific that I'd like to go see there. But just overall, like, I'd like to go show my wife and the kids and just be like, mm -hmm. I lived here. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> um, we actually, we, uh, 
been thinking about taking a family vacation to Rochester. Maybe next summer. It's cool. There's a lot of cool stuff to do there, yeah. It's like the yeah. Museum of Play is out there. Some cool mm-hmm. places there's to like, take the kids. There's a couple museums. Uh, there's the Eastman House. There's some waterfalls and stuff. Some good yep. nature stuff. You... You mentioned that like some pigments became like illegal in Europe or something. Yeah, I don't. I tried to look up more information about that. Um, it seems like it's just another case of people in charge not fully understanding the tattoo industry. And essentially, what it all boiled down to was: um, Can you hear my chickens? Yes, I can hear your chickens. Sweet. <laughs> um, essentially, what it boils down to is. They found that a pigment that is used in tattooing, in tattoo ink, has been found to be cancerous in other products, cancer-causing in other products like uh, lipstick and makeup. Um, so there's like, oh, well, it causes, you know, it's, it's shown to be uh, a cancer agent in these products. So it, clearly it is also a cancer-causing agent in these products. So you've got to stop using it. But there's like no evidence whatsoever that any tattoo has led to cancer um, it's, the products are completely different. Uh, the amount of pigment used in the products is completely different. So it's, we had a similar issue in New York, um, about six or seven years ago where out of nowhere, they drafted this bill that said, um, everything you use needs to be uh, one-time use only from needles, tubes, and then ink as well. Uh, so they said you can only use these things called ink shots, which was a single-use package of ink that gave you enough ink to do one tattoo as opposed to, like, a one-ounce, two-ounce, four-ounce bottle of ink that we would typically be using. And then, so the issue with that is that um, there's only, like, two companies that make those products, and they're already not the best uh, products in the world, uh. coupled with the fact that you can't get a proper pigment dispersion in that small of a package. Um, so the colors are not as vibrant as they could be from like, say a, like a two ounce bottle of ink. And when the government was called out on this, you, you know, a bunch of tattoo artists got together and they met with a legislator and they said, you know, why did you decide to do this? And the legislator like flat out says, like, honestly, we just asked the red cross what the best thing to do for this, this stuff would be. <laughs> and they said, Hey, this is a thing you should use these instead. And so they actually, like, took the legislator through, like, how a proper tattoo is set up and done. And, I mean, we've been using disposable one-time-use needles for, you know, years now. And we've been using, like, most of the industry has switched over to disposable tubes as well. Um, Do you keep an autoclave in your shop? I don't, know. I have no use for one. Do people? Did people when you got started? Yes. Yeah, when I started, so I learned how to tattoo on Long Island. Okay. Obviously. And Nassau County, Suffolk County... And the boroughs are pretty much the only parts of New York that have health and safety codes for tattooing. And part of that was, you know, that you had to have an autoclave, you had to keep track of your autoclave, you had to, you know, keep your autoclave clean. And you would have a health guy would come around once every couple of weeks or a couple of months and he'd check to make sure your autoclave was working just fine, that you were keeping tabs on it. Um, but ever since, you know, the industry has kind of switched to disposable and like one-time use stuff, I don't use the steel tubes and tips anymore, so I don't need to clean tubes. I don't need to autoclave my tubes. Like, I just pull one out of a package. It's all made out of plastic, which kind of sucks for the environment, but what are you going to do? 
tattoo, throw it all out when I'm done. So if it's not steel, what is it? The single use plastic. <clears throat> it's all plastic. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the needles are steel, obviously, but um, the tubes and tips are all plastic. It's got like plastic grip on it. So I can actually show you one real quick if you want. And this is essentially it. It's really cool. Yep. So one time use, I throw it out when I'm done. I get like a box of 20 of those for like 20 bucks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So what more? What's the what's what's the pulse of tattooing in late 2021 is it's cool man like i you know people are getting cool stuff pretty consistently you know um yeah it's there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of social acceptance uh, of tattoos and what you can get as tattoos i think when i started tattooing you know i tattooed some like kids closer to my age and they wanted to get like the, the pop culture stuff. They wanted to get like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all that sort of thing. Cause I mean, that's like the stuff that was important to us. And you know, it wasn't really cool then, yeah. you know, to do. And now fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years later, there's entire tattoo conventions that are dedicated to this subject matter. I mean, there's like the, this weekend there's the anime ink con, which is completely just all tattoo artists that specialize in anime tattoos. And then there's, there's like a literary ink tattoo convention, which is like specifically towards Harry Potter tattoos, you know? So it's a, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. Wow. Like it's, it's come a long way. It's, it's way more socially acceptable and what people are willing to put on their bodies forever is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think in the age of the internet that we've entered into, we see that, the random corners of pop culture from the past, I want to say 30 years, but maybe it's even more like 40 or 50. There's somebody that's into everything, you know, yeah. so I, I don't know enough about it, but you know, somebody's like really into knots landing or somebody wants a threes company tattoo. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned gate gatekeeping before. And I was talking about this the other day, how like, you know, I manage my own, science nerd Instagram account and there's not much that I gatekeep but um you've seen like the elephant toothpaste experiments that people do yes and you know you see yeah. one and I'm like huh I should do one of those one day make a cool video and then you see a, another couple and you go huh people are doing some pretty cool things with this I should do this experiment and then you see the one that's on what the fuck is it Kelly and Brian is it whatever Whatever, sure. whatever Regis and Kathy Lee became, um, like the, the Today <laughs> Show, basically, you know, does does an yeah. elephant tooth toothpaste, and I'm just like, uh, it's officially not cool now. It's like so far yeah. beyond science. <laughs> yep. Um, and yep. like I'd probably gatekeep like Ren and Stimpy, um, but beyond <laughs> a couple like '90s things, uh, that's not something that really comes naturally to me. The gatekeeping. And I think I did it kind of hard in the 90s. Um, I know mm -hmm. I did it with like Rage Against the Machine because I was really into them. And then all of a sudden the world was really into them. And I was like, ugh, they're total yeah. sellouts. And it was good to like recognize myself as a douchebag as a teenager. Um, but now I'm recognizing myself as a douchebag as a 41 year old guy. So 
you know, we've come we've come full circle. Well, it's funny that you say that because I feel like the '90s was kind of like the last gasping breath of like the underground. Yeah, you know, um, and it was like you know you had a lot of like lowbrow things that like small pockets took very seriously and you know that society as a whole was kind of like ugh, that's 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 lowbrow that's not cool like you know everything from music to art and like i mean video games and comic books i mean how many good 90s comic book movies were there (laughs) you know and now like marvel's cinematic universe is the biggest thing and like comic books are high art now and you know, video games are seen as like you know are t- they're talking about video games and like cinematic experiences. Yep. You, you you play you play for five minutes and you watch a ten minute cutscene. You play for five minutes more. Yeah. And I'm like, man, like we used to just you know walk across the screen and shoot stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's yeah. You know, so I think like the the '90s was kind of like that last gasping breath. I don't I don't want to say it was the height of the underground. But I think it was like kind of like that last gasping breath, and I know it still exists. Like obviously, there's still like an underground music scene, and there's still like you know underground art scenes. But you can you can access them so much more easily than before. I mean, like when we were kids, if we wanted to find out what shows were happening over the weekend, you know, we'd have to you know we'd have to go to Utopia and go to the CD section and look at their show flyer section right. or. You know, like go to like the various independent music stores and like, you know, just hope that there are show flyers hanging up or we would have to go to a show in order to find out when the next show was. So or whereas now is you just go onto someone's Instagram account. It's like, hey, we're playing this bar. Come out. Right. And that's something that the world has adapted to. And I think it's in a, in a good mm-hmm. way. But I remember in like yeah. in like 2005 even. Every band had a MySpace, but they weren't yep. updating it multiple times a day. They weren't even updating it multiple yeah. times a week. It was seen kind of more as like a chore or an obligation. And I was like, dude, mm-hmm. this is going to be awesome because like someday you're just going to be able to like have your computer tell you which band you liked 10 years ago is going to do a reunion and you don't find out about it six months after it happens. And we went really far in that direction. And now, like, it's like, okay, you follow, I don't know, fucking Jawbreaker. You're going to find out if they're going to play some show. In theory. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. It's just it's it's so much. And now it's the information overload. And there's very few dark, shadowy corners of genres Mm -hmm. of the Internet of. I mean, there's a dark, shadowy corner of the internet, but it's really... Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We don't need to get true. into that one. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's pushed to extreme. You know? But, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I was thinking about this a lot recently, you know, like, you know, we used to have to work really hard, and the stuff that we were into was kind of poo-pooed upon, you know? Yeah. If I were to tell you that, you know... I loved how a video game box cover art looked, you know? You'd be like, it's a video game. Like, who cares? Like, but look at how cool this box cover art is. I saw on Instagram some random dude who follows me. I followed him back. And I see one day he's got, like, a coffee table book. And it's NES 8-bit cartridges. And it's just four per page Mm -hmm. in this beautiful-looking book. 
it's Swedish, so it's a different like um, aspect ratio of the box. Like it's a different yeah. portion. So that bit's weird to me. And some of the words aren't exactly the same, but it's just beautiful and awesome. And I was like, oh, my God, please tell me that this is not something you made and that this is something that like a person can buy. Then I found out that it's in Swedish and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. I'm gonna, I don't know that I'm going to run out and yeah. get it, but it. That's an art book. Huh? Yeah. And just the, the, the nostalgia that it gave me of thinking about like NES games and what I would do as a 14 year old kid to save up some money to buy one game. And, you know, now I have a, I have a raspberry Pi, And so I've got 800 NES games, probably 600 SNES games, Genesis N 64. Mm-hmm. And my kids can just play any game. And they're like, all these games are really hard. And I was like, right. See, that's one difference that you have hundreds of games at your disposal. You play them for five or 10 minutes and you're like, this one's hard. I want to play a different one. Whereas we yeah. had like four games. So you, you got yeah. good at it because that was your only choice. Yep. But I mean, like, think about how much information they had to get across on those box covers. Because if they showed you like an actual picture of the game, like it'd be like an 8-bit graphic of like some like blue pixel sprite against the background. Yeah. Like maybe you have an action shot of it, but it's like, you know, like, a little yellow thing kind of like an inch or two away from it. And that's supposed to be like, it's blaster. You know, so they had to like come up with these like stories that were told through the box. One picture, you know, and it's just one picture. I mean, it kind of, it always reminded me of like the VHS covers or like when VHS first became a thing. Um, you you would have to like explain what these things were because, you know, it, it, it wasn't like nowadays where, or even in like the height of the blockbuster era where, you know, it was major motion pictures and you could just say like, oh, this is Bruce Willis's new movie. Like, go get it. Like these were like crap movies that no one had ever heard of because they didn't, you know, the original days of VHS stores, they didn't have the major motion pictures to sell and to rent. So they had these like smaller B, C, like D level movies. Um, so you'd have to come up with like a really cool box art to it, convince people to rent. Is that true? Movies. I don't know that history. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, when VHS first became a thing, um, like, all new industries, the major players in the game were like, nope, nope, we don't want a part of it, it doesn't make sense, we don't understand it. So, 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 for, so, 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 so for those movie houses, it was like, you go see our movie in the theaters, or you wait for it to be, like, on HBO. And even HBO yeah. probably only sprung up when, like, 75, 80? It just didn't make sense. Like, they just didn't understand the VHS market at the time. But, you know, you, again, you have these smaller uh, producers and, and, and production companies who are like, you know, we can make movies and then sell them to these retailers and they can rent the tapes for us. And, I mean, there's, a, there's an, an anecdote of one company, like one production company, where the owner would have the cover art made first. So he'd have his artists like mock up these these what the cover of the movie would look like, and he'd be like, "Oh, that's cool. Let's make that movie." And they would have to then <laughs> retcon a movie based off of this picture of like some green lizard-like alien like towering over sure. a woman, you know. So it's like, 
And that's how you got, you know, salamanders from Mars part three. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, that cover art was so important because you had to like, you had to sell the movie to people through that first image. And I mean, and like, I, that's like so much of my visual aesthetic stems from just going to like movie stores and going to like movie places and like going to tower records and not knowing anything about anything and just basing everything off of like what the cover looks like, you know? So you you buy a lot of crap, but you buy a lot of, I mean, we, we, we wandered into this from like NES. So I've had Contra in my Mm -hmm. head in the beginning and you're right. There's no single screenshot that you could grab from Contra that would explain the game that would make a person say that looks like fun. And I've probably only seen the cover of Contra a handful of times in my life, but I know exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it tells a story. And so I respect yeah. that game is badass because yeah, of the cover. I, res- I, I respect that about you and uh, your artistic types, um, because that's something that I, I probably <laughs> just take for granted. Uh, you know, that just it it's telling me a story and subconsciously I'm hearing yeah. that story. But if you ask me, like, create a game cover, I'd be like, I don't know, but like a guy and a gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it's crazy because, like, growing up, it never really clicked with me that these were pieces of art created by a person. You know, like I felt the same way about like skateboard graphics too. Like I, you know, pick up skateboard oh, graphics because skateboard- that, that was like another form of like lowbrow art that like nobody took seriously, but had such a profound impact on like my visual aesthetic and you know like you know you see like these awesome skateboard graphics and like it just never you know as a young kid it just never clicked with me that like this like someone created this like someone sat down and drew this i just it just never like made sense and then as i got older i mean like i remember seeing the work of mark mckee who was like one of like the most influential skateboard graphic designers of all time and and you know but like people don't know who he is because the things that he created became bigger than he ever was. I mean, he, he created like wet Willie and flame boy for world industries, you know, and like those graphics kind of take on, took on a life of their own, like well beyond him. I mean, he illustrated one of the first skateboards I ever had. Dude. And it was dude, like, you're taking me on a trip right now. You just made, you, you, you <laughs> just made me look up like this Veriflex board that I had, like probably when I was mm-hmm. eight. Um, Oh mm-hmm. my god! And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a picture of it and send it to you. Uh, the last time we talked, you had noticed a video game that I had. Uh, this guy right here, the TNC skate. It, I yes, I know it well. Um, the picture so, that I'm gonna send you is gonna explain a lot as to why that appealed to me. So all of those characters were created by a dude named Steve Nazar. And he would just do the illustrations for TNC Surf Company. And again, like his characters became so popular that they got a video game based off. That's wild. Can can you see the chat? Uh, yes. That was the skateboard I had when I was eight or so. The Veriflex Voodoo 2. And it's a guy. It's a guy. Oh, with yeah, a fucking yeah. Tiki mask. Uh, yeah. Shredding on a half pipe. Yeah. I mean, that whole that whole aesthetic was like so in like important to who I was when I was a kid. And I mean, I think you can kind of see it more so now in the art that I'm doing now um, than ever before. But I mean, like dudes, like, like I said, Steven Czar, Matt, Mark McKee, 
uh, Jim and Jimbo Phillips. Um, Jim Phillips came up with the Santa Cruz logo. I know game. that name. I know that one. Um, and his son Jimbo like kind of continues on the legacy. Um, but like they're again that like these are these guys that like I just kind of never really clicked in my head that there was like people behind the stuff. Like it was just cool stuff that I was taking in and like and like oh man this is this graphics awesome you know like and then kind of diving in and like really like deep diving into like the artwork that these people created. So like your preferred aesthetic, you've described it as the nineties. Is it true? Is it truly yeah. the nineties? Because I could probably go on for about an hour that I don't think the nineties is the best way to describe. There needs to be another unit though. Like, I don't know why we did what we, we describe, um, we describe yeah. clusters of culture in decades often. Um, mm-hmm. by the way, they're creating that nineties show as we speak. Um, I heard. Yeah. I don't, know, I, I I that, don't but... know how I feel about it at all. Um, and it makes sense that like, you know, our parents and cousins and aunts, uncles, older siblings and whatever, um, didn't really like that seventies show when I did, <laughs> but that's because it didn't mean anything mm-hmm. to me. But I think that we need to do a better job of like breaking these morsels of culture down because to me, I'm a fan of the nineties and on the face of it to a stranger, I would say that, but I'm a huge fan of the late eighties and early nineties because the late nineties started to be shiny. Everything was bling. Mm -hmm. We started pimping rides and I mean, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I and, don't get me that, wrong. And that's like, when you and I were yeah. in our heyday. But in terms yeah. of the aesthetic... I think that's where the underground kind of idea comes back into play. Where, like, yeah, you had you had this very bright, shiny kind of, like, pop culture aspect. And, like, don't get me wrong. Like, if you want to be my lover, you 100% have to get with my friends. Yeah. But, like, you know, like, and, like, but, like, that kind of, like, became our... <laughs> I was hoping for a much... Uh, funnier reaction from that line, uh, I, I'm sorry it wasn't funny it was more like deep like you hit me in a place and I, and I like I had to sit back and reflect on it and I went yeah because you just took me to 98 um <laughs> but all right listen nerds this is time for just you and me and I sent Matt to the other room the holidays are coming up I know you got to do some shopping. I know you, you want to get something for somebody and you want it to be awesome. I have two recommendations. One, maybe you know somebody who had a baby recently. Maybe you know somebody who just likes super soft, personalized, beautiful blankets and loveys and throws. Well, you got to check out Two Bees Boutique. Uh, you can go to twobeesboutique.com. You can go to Two Bees Boutique on Etsy. You can even go to Two Bees Boutique on Amazon. And if you go to their website or their Etsy shop and you use the promo code YogiNerd, you'll get 10% off. So you'll save yourself some money. You'll give a great business some support. And uh, you'll get somebody something for the holidays that they won't forget. Um, especially if, you know, they got some baby. Or maybe the person that you're shopping for is a bit older and maybe they love the 90s or even the early 2000s, dare I say, the aughts. Um, you should go to deepcoverny.com 
Com. Honestly, you should go there even if you're not shopping for somebody just to, to scroll because they have the best throwback clothing from the 90s and 2000s. Um, it's it's really great, actually. I, it's a dangerous habit of mine to, to just browse their site. And it's like going through a thrift shop without having to go through every rack, without having to go through every store, without having to go through that pile which in COVID times, I definitely wouldn't want to be doing that anyway. But this is all great items. Um, you can get stuff like, you know, Hillfiger Champion, Nike, Umbro. Uh, so much stuff. Lots of Looney Tunes stuff, too. That's that's my personal favorite. So go to deepcoverny.com for some dope throwback clothes. And there also, you can use the code YOGINERD for 10% off your first purchase. I mean, like, that's where that, that kind of, like, underground idea comes back in play, where, like, it's, like, so, like, while all of this, like, pop and shine was going on, well, we were busy at the Legion Halls and, you know, the weird factory spaces in industrial areas in the middle of nowhere, you know, seeing punk and hardcore bands. And then, you know, that started getting taken over by the pop and the shine, and you had groups like Blink-182 and, you know, to a lesser extent, Green Day and, like, you know they started kind of shining themselves up a little bit. And that's when that kind of underground became much more popular because, you know, I think with the advent of, again, social media and the internet, I mean, we saw it with the bands that we were friends with, you know, all of a sudden the labels that our friends' bands were on were getting bought up by major labels, like major, major corporations. And kind of gone was the idea of, you know, the major label finding the unknown artists and creating them from scratch and just saying, hey, everyone's got a really crappy attention span. So, you know, let's just make some money off of these guys for a few years and then move on. Yeah. An aesthetic that um, that specifically comes to mind is, you know, in the early 90s, the fisheye lens in this gritty skate video, BMX video sort of yep. utilization, that means a lot to me. Um, I recently got a new iPhone, uh, and it has like three lenses for some fucking reason. And I kind of was, I was mocking it in the beginning, but one of those lenses is this like awesome at taking macro pictures, 13 millimeter, uh, focal length kind of fisheye lens. And I'm taking every fucking picture in it. And my wife and my wife (laughs) is just like, what is wrong with you? Why do you keep just like switching to that lens? I was like, cause that's how I like things to look because of because of, of skate videos. <laughs> but then, but then that yeah. gets because of four one one. That's yeah, how I see because of girl videos, because of, you know, videos yeah. that people were making that like from Levittown. Um, yeah. But so then that gets co-opted in the late nineties. And so when I think of the late nineties, I think of that same fisheye lens, but it's puff daddy or Missy Elliott in like shiny silver clothes like yeah. wrapping into the fisheye lens and it's still cool. Don't get me wrong. I love Missy Elliott at, yeah. at every point in her career, but that's not the aesthetic I yearn for. The aesthetic yeah. I yearn for might've started yeah. in like 87, 88 with like salt and pepper mm-hmm. back to the future Two, and fluorescent everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Neon everything. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like, I guess to say my, I, I think why I'm, I feel comfortable saying that my aesthetic choice is the 90s is kind of, again, going back to that idea of the last gasping breath of underground. Because 
we had we still had access to everything that came before. Mm. You know, and everything that we had was built off of what came before. I mean, this is true in so many things. You know, like everything that we have now is built off of what has come before. So, like, the skate scene was built off of that, you know, 80s and 90, like early 80s, like 70s, even skate scene. And, um, you know, punk rock was built off of everything that came before. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I, I say my aesthetic is the 90s. And, I, and it, also, I love, you know, bright poppy stuff too. You know, like, I'm not even going to lie, you know. I love that bright, super colorful, glittery aesthetic as well. I mean, there's just something about it that takes me back. I mean, have there's a really great um, documentary on Netflix called This Is Pop, and it just talks about like various forms of pop music. And there's one episode that is specifically dedicated to like the late '90s, early 2000s boy and boy bands and you know girl acts like Britney Spears and sure. like that. And me and my wife sat down and watched it, and it was just like it was awesome. You know, like we're just sitting there, you know, I want you back then. You know, just like going through like all these like Backstreet Boys and sing Britney Spears songs, like stuff that at the time I would have never been like, oh yeah, I love this stuff. It's great. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like it's like stuff that I fought against when I was like, you know, in the, in the height of it. Um, but, you know, looking back, I'm like, nah, this is actually, this is fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fun. I've, you know, I've kind of always liked pop stuff. I remember seeing, um, Hanson Mbop in whatever year that was. I feel like it was 96 or 97 at like mm-hmm. two or three in the morning uh, on MTV when I got home late as a derelict teenager and just being like, this song's going to be huge. Like, <laughs> um, and then it was because it just, it, it was yeah. saccharine sweet pop. Um, yep. It was inevitable. Do you think, so you talk about like building on the past aesthetics. There was a period there where I'm not trying to be denigrating. I'm not trying to be sexist or anything, but girls went back to wearing high waisted tight jeans. And I, where are we going? I mean, this is a couple years ago, but like that is a look that I just don't get. Like to me, like uh, guys or girls could wear, you know, jenkos or like low-rise jeans and any of that and like i'm like that looks good that is appealing or just like a normal pair of jeans and that's fine but like then jeans got really high specifically on girls and i was just like yeah that's a look that i don't get and i remember that because when i was 16 or 17 working at a deli i remember my boss who was 15 years older than me telling me about how ridiculous he thought the girls jeans that girls wore in those days looked because he wanted them to be tight and high. And I was just like, yeah, I don't get that. And now in like 2015, <laughs> it started to take that turn back to these high-waisted mm-hmm. ones. And then just recently, let's hope that this is an accurate uh, title of the time, late pandemic, I'm seeing girls. I'm so hopeful. Um, <laughs> let, Are we already in late pandemic? I certainly hope so. I, I, I hope that we're really bummed if we find out this is just early pandemic. I mean, sidebar, the FDA is going to meet in five days to talk about approving vaccines for kids five to 11. And it'll probably take them about two to five days to actually approve that. And then we're in full swing in November. And that's a big portion of the country that can get vaccinated. And I'm I'm relying on that for my family to travel. Anywho, so, exit sidebar. <laughs> And I see these girls wearing these high-waisted, 
yet like loose and weathered or uh, distressed, aged, distressed jeans. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that look, however, is cool. I'm down with that. And so it's just, it's weird that like in the deep recesses of our brains, these mean things to us, even if we can't explain it. Yeah. I mean, I, I try, it's, it's like fighting the urge to be the old man on the porch. Are you an old man? I, or I to, like to, to what degree are you an old man? <laughs> I like to think that I'm not, but at the same time, it's like, I see like a lot of things in pop culture where I'm just like, I don't get this anymore. Like, I don't understand Billie Eilish. I'm just going to say it. Oh, yeah? I don't, I don't think it's that bad. It's not exactly my thing. Um, I gave it a couple listens. Um, yeah, like, so, like, I acknowledge that I don't understand Billie Eilish. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. That's fine. <laughs> you know? That's like, fine. I don't want to Was... be the guy that's like, ah, oh, this fucking Billie Eilish or whatever she is. You know, like, I just... I don't want to be the old man on the porch that yells at the kids to get off his lawn. Like, I want to just accept that, you know, this this isn't for me anymore. You know, I just move on with my life, you know. I'm going to go back my to my VHS tapes and my 8-bit video games and leave me alone. My meter, my meter stick of when a person gets old is when they stop listening to new music. Then I'm and old. <laughs> I, but stop listening to music that's new to them. Okay. So do you still go back and fill in the gaps? Yes. Of, you yes. know, you know, like, uh, I see you've got a Henry Rollins poster behind you. Um, I know some Black Flag, mm. but I definitely didn't know all Black Flag. So at some point within the past couple years, I was like, I'm going to go and fill that back in. Yes. Okay. A friend of mine from college told me it was summer of 2017 because it was right before the hurricane hit here. And he was like, which Shelter album is your favorite album? And I was like, I don't know. I never listened to Shelter. He's like, you listen to 108 and you listen to Youth of Today. How do you not listen to Shelter? I was like, I don't know. I just never listened to them. He was like, dude, you need to listen to Shelter. And that was really significant that we had that conversation because I downloaded a bunch of Shelter records. Yeah. And then the hurricane hit here and we didn't have electricity or Internet for three months. So I had these Shelter records to live in. And so now I went back and filled in a gap. Yeah. So I am old in the respect that somewhere around the times that like bands stopped having drummers and they just stomped and clapped a lot. I'm looking at you, <laughs> Arcade Fire and Decemberists and Imagine Dragons and all that. <laughs> and that's cool. I'm, I'm glad it exists. I get it. It's just not my thing. Yeah. So rather than listening to the new music like that, I'm tending to fill in the gaps in 75 to 2000. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so at least it's still new to me. I find myself filling in gaps where like, I don't know if like this is just specifically a problem that I have or if anyone else can kind of relate to this, but it kind of depends on who recommends something to me. So like, it doesn't really matter how good something is. If I generally speaking, don't trust your taste and stuff. And you suggest something to me, I'm not going to take it seriously. Like there's a like one of my friends back in the day was always talking about how great um, Bridge and Tunnel was. I was like, okay, I don't really value your opinion, but I know it exists. I barely know details of it. Oh, go and listen to them, man. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so like I yeah I, I went I heard them. They came on like randomly on a you know random play 
artist station that I was listening on. And I was like, oh, this is really good. Who is this? And I was like, saw it. And I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> Those fuckers right all along. I, I hate when people were right. It's, that's like what prevents me from getting into Doctor Who. Because <laughs> like everyone I've ever met who was a Doctor Who fan, I've been like, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I kind of I kind of agree with you. I I find that the the barrier to me getting into Doctor Who is I don't know where to start. This is just so much of it. Yeah, everything you can start wrong. Um, <laughs> I guess. Um so this 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 repeat, you know, I remember in the early 90s the 70s was super popular. Yeah. Um I remember, you know, people had like onk necklaces. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I'm surprised that hasn't come back, but I I love that there's like teenagers and twenty somethings out there wearing crystals, <laughs> like around their necks. Um, I had a black crystal necklace, mm-hmm. and I'm tempted to get it, and my wife has said no. She's probably right. I'm gonna back her up on that. But one. so and 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 <laughs> funk, like, do you remember how popular wah pedals were yep. in the '90s in every style of music? Yep, and people. People were making funk core. People were making, and you know, infectious grooves was a thing. Yeah. Um, the best Red like, Hot Chili Peppers records, right? <laughs> Absolutely. For the record, I I will back your last statement there <laughs> till the till the death of me. I will die on that hill. After um, Thrasher was all downhill. Oh, there's Milk and well, they were, they I'll were listen in to Thrasher. Ah, <laughs> uh, I got it. Um, I thought that was a record that no, no, I hadn't a, even heard of. A fantastic movie starring Josh Brolin. <laughs> oh. I would say, well, so were so were they still cool then in the chase? Because <laughs> I think so. <laughs> deep cut, deep cut. I wanna, I wanna listen to the flea book. That's actually on my to do list. Yeah. He 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 wrote a book, and I think he reads it himself. I'm sure he's got some insane stories. Have you seen the other F word? No. Oh, uh, you should. I don't know. I don't know what that is. It's a. Uh, I don't know what anything is. I don't. About um, it focuses on uh, Jim from Pennywise. Okay. And it kind of tells his story of kind of coming to grips with being a father, and also being a dude in a punk rock band, and um, interesting. Like that's like kind of like the, the main narrative of the documentary. But then interspersed with that is all sorts of interviews with like other punk rock guys and how they kind of come to grips with being a dad and flees in it. He does like a lot of really cool interviews, and it's just funny because like he has so much diggity damn money because he's flea. So like the backgrounds for his interviews are vastly different from like you know the backgrounds like Fat Mike's interviews or mm. um, Lars Fredrickson's interviews. But yeah, he's in it, and it's it's really that. cool. And uh, you know, I think I think you'll like it. I think it'll resonate with you, especially since you are a dad. It used to be like that there were these cycles because in the eighties, the sixties were really popular. Mm-hmm. I'll 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 point to it's called Jive Bunny and Mixmasters. You know the songs. It's like the people who like remixed like like Frankie Valley and all that and made them into things that wedding DJs play to this day. Okay. And like the twist and stuff. And then in the nineties it was the seventies. And then in the two thousands there was a bit of an eighties throwback. Yeah. Um, Kanye was wearing those sunglasses that are just the slats. Shutter shades. The, oh, is that what they're called? Yep. That That's a good name for them. <laughs> it's accurate. <laughs> I always call them the sunglasses with the slats. <laughs> that's a really good name for them. And 
I don't know what happened in the 2010s. I guess there was little bits of of 90s throwback, but it's kind of like an inevitability that these things will come around yeah. in cycles. I feel like the 90s are coming back more now than right. they did in like the 2010s. Um, well, so I don't know what you know of the um, the the musical artist M.I.A. I'm personally a huge fan, mm-hmm. but in she didn't want to be a singer. She wanted to be a producer and she auditioned uh, all of these girl singers to like sing the words she wrote to songs and she like didn't like any of them. And she was like, none of you can do it the way that I'm envisioning. So she just did it herself. But she actually, she started as a graphic artist. And so all of her visual art, um, all of her album covers is very much this aesthetic that like the Saved by the Bell opening like Dixie jazz, like Like that Memphis print kind of look. Yeah. And that, that whole look and, and also like fresh Prince videos or she's been using that for years. And now I feel like it's hitting. Mm -hmm. Now I feel like it's become like the mainstream thing and I love it. I want to wear my Cavaricis and a pair of skids. Skids is still a company. And they were based out of New York City. I thought that was like a worldwide or nationwide thing. I think that was only our region. Uncontrolled, I would spend a lot of money on things that I would wear like three times. <laughs> so I don't know. So I guess, you know, if it's an inevitability that it's going to come around again, it's just kind of the key is like knowing when to strike, knowing when when it's time for mm-hmm. something to come around again. I think that's hard. Well, I think it's also like a... a they're doing a lot of like, uh, they've done like studies and articles. I don't know if they've done studies. That's a reach, but I know they've written articles about how like our generation specifically, I I guess we're millennials or elder millennials or as it were, life and the economy has changed so much for us that in like the, the world that we exist in is so drastically different from the world that our parents existed in that we've, we, 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 we're drawn to finding comfort in our past. So Mm. like we're one of the first generations to like really kind of go back and revisit our pasts in economic ways. You know, like I, I, I don't know if our parents were ever collecting the toys that they played with as kids for themselves. Whereas many of our peers are going back and rebuying all of the toys that they had in their kids or, you know, like, I guess it was it was a lot more of an unknown too. Like trolls are like a huge thing now. Trolls yeah. had their time in the nineties, but trolls come from the sixties. And yeah. I remember in the nineties my mom talking about like, oh, I wish I could have like, you know, some of my troll dolls from the sixties. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's different now is there's this transparent marketplace that you yeah. can see how many of those exist. Whereas in the 90s, at best, you were going to go to some garage sale and see, you have this. I want it. And I have no idea if this is the only one in the world (laughs) or if every garage sale happening in America right now is selling the same thing. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's also because everything's made out of plastic and just lasts longer. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Like people are buying their old Ninja Turtles because they're made out of plastic. Mm. And they're still around. There's a lot of like reissue stuff going on. I'm amazed at how many. Let me say first that I'm amazed at how many people sell things on Etsy 
that I would assume is copyright infringement. I kind of hate intellectual property, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but but just being pragmatic, I'm surprised yeah. that more Etsy shops aren't getting shut down for just using an image, using a likeness. Yeah, I mean, as someone who has made a couple bucks off of copyright infringement... Um, Maybe just here and there, right? <laughs> Uh, I definitely had I had some stuff in my my web store for a while that was you know borderline. I I think it ultimately depends on the copyright you are infringing upon, hmm. um, and how much they care, and then how much money you're making off of that infringement. I know brands like Disney, Nintendo, and even like WWE are like super super like they track everything that's going on. They make sure that like people aren't making money off of their properties. Um, you know, I, I, during the shutdown, I got back into like graphic designing and I designed a t-shirt for my web store that was based off of empire records. And you know, that's 100% copyright infringement, but then you have like one of the actors from the movie, like, you know, liking your Instagram post about it. You kind of really? like, oh, okay, maybe I, maybe I got a pass. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> the, the guy who played uh, the, the the beatnik character. Ethan. Who was stuck on the couch. No. Oh. Lucas. 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 The, the actor who played Lucas. Uh, he also that, played Slater in uh, Days of Confused. That's the same. That's the same guy? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Wow. I'm like 95% certain. That's radical. He liked my post about my Empire Records. Design. That's awesome. I feel like that gave me the green light to sell it. And who who made Denver the Last Dinosaur? Is that like Bandai or like Saban? Uh, yeah, that or like a Dick. Yeah, see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of those. D. Again, like you know, a a company that probably just does not care. It's just happy to be relevant, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Denver the Last Dinosaur is another another one with that aesthetic that is just chef's kiss. And it's funny because like if you ever go back and look at these cartoons that we watched when we were kids, a lot of them are crap. Dude, Thundercats (laughs) is so bad. Thundercats specifically comes to mind. Thundercats was crap. Like He-Man was kind of crap. And they've made these remakes of them that are just so much better than the originals. And I, I, I'm probably going to annoy some of my counterparts, my, my, uh, uh, whatever the word is. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the, the, the reference I always give is there is an episode of the original Transformers. Okay. Where the, the plot point of the episode is that Bumblebee gets kidnapped by the Decepticons. Fair plot. So there's a scene in the episode where all of the Autobots are standing around in a circle talking about how Bumblebee has been abducted by the Decepticons. And there, in the background, between two of the Autobots, is fucking Bumblebee. Just hanging out. Because these were such low-budget cartoons, it was and they solely existed to sell toys that they just recycled backgrounds and recycled frames and recycled animations <laughs> to the point with with literally no care or concern whatsoever for like you know attention to detail 
Like, ah, fucking kids are never going to notice that Bumblebee's right there, you know? But it's crazy because at the same time, on the other side of the world, you had Japanese cartoons, which were far superior. In you know, they, they had linear storylines that went from episode to episode. I mean, the sheer fact that their characters would show up dressed in different outfits. Yep. I mean, like, I just recently, like, not too long ago, started watching the original Dragon Ball. Okay. And, like, the very first Dragon Ball series. And it's crazy, man, to think that this was happening at the same time as, you know, like, the He-Mans and the Ninja Turtles and the, uh, uh, the Transformers. Because it's they're, it's story arcs that are taking place over many, many episodes. And it's it's not odd for them. Like, that's just how they tell a story. Whereas, like, if there was an episode that took more... If there was a story that took more than one episode to tell, it was like a special two-parter. Like, oh, to be yeah. continued, you know? You get, you get or, one cl- cliffhanger per season max. Yeah, maybe. You know, <laughs> like, I remember, like, when the X-Men had the, the Phoenix Saga episodes. Oh, so it good. was, like, a huge deal, you know? Like, they showed it at night because it was such a crazy idea that this story was going to take more than one episode to tell. But this was just commonplace in these Japanese television shows. Um, I, I, I kind of like the X-Men cartoons better than the X-Men movies, if I'm being honest. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the X-Men movies were kind of... Like, two was really good. Yeah. That was about it, though. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's Americans with short attention spans. Or I perceived short attention spans, so they drove it further... And then yeah. it, like, made it even worse. I think, yeah, I think it was, like, they, I mean, they existed solely, the cartoons existed solely to sell toys. Yeah. I mean, and there's no, there's no mincing words about that. Like, that's why they existed. Like, He-Man was a toy line before it was a cartoon. Ninja Turtles, in order to sell the toy line, they created the cartoons. I mean, obviously Ninja Turtles was a comic book first, but then once the cartoon and the toy line came, that came out, it was, like, it morphed into, like, a completely different thing. But, yeah. I mean, like, you know, these things existed in order to sell toys. So it was this kind of perceived, excuse me, intelligence level of the target demographic. And then it was like, oh, well, you know, this works. So let's just follow this model. Because, you know, they had some success, so they follow the model and, and, you know, and never really saying, hey, maybe we can change it up a little bit. And I think, again, in the 90s, uh... (laughs) we started getting that influx of Japanese animation starting with Dragon Ball Z um, and, you know, Toonami, Cartoon Network. You know, they started showing these more, you know, like Japanese, you know, Japanese shows and Japanese movies. And they were like, holy crap, like people actually have an attention span for this sort of thing. Like we can actually tell, like kids can actually tell and follow stories. Mm. And then you see with, you know, the not the newest version of Ninja Turtles, but the one that came out right before it. I think in like 2011 it came out. Um, it's really good. Is it? It is. It's really really good. It tells a really great story. There's character development. I should give it a shot. Um, it's a really really strong show. Um, I haven't watched any of the new one yet with the, the redesigns of the characters. Um, I just don't have the time or the patience for it. But there's but, all, I mean, like, what is it, like, there's, like, six different generations of Ninja Turtles in yes, terms of, yeah, like, there's like, character uh, yeah, design. Some, some absurd amount like that. But the the one that came, the, the first one that came out via Nickelodeon, when they sold it to Viacom, they sold the rights of the characters to Viacom. 
the first one that Nickelodeon put out back in like again, again I think it was like 2011 they put it out. It's it's fantastic. It's really really good. Um, okay. Netflix's Shira show. Yo, Netflix's Shira show is awesome. Amazing. So good and like. I, it makes me proud, like, for my daughter to watch that yep. as, like, in terms of, like, feminist like mentality. And, yeah. Yeah, everything. Like, I, yeah, we watched that show with my daughter, and, like, me and my wife were both like, oh, my God, this is really good. And, I mean, like, <laughs> no, not to give away the spoilers, but, like, the, you know, the, have you seen the entire series? Um, I think I'm halfway in season two. But you can spoil okay, so it for me. I'm not spoiler spoil it. for warning for other people. <laughs> spoiler alert: the the very end of it, like the final scene of it, or not the final scene of it, but the kind of like the the culmination of the series, is such a powerful moment. Uh, and I'm so glad that my daughter got to see it, and I'm even more glad that I got to see my daughter see it, because it was just like this this realization on her face that like anything is possible. Yeah, you know, like, That's... and it's and. And it was so cool. And yeah, man, like it's, it's just so crazy. Like the amount of fondness that we have for something that was just so bad. <laughs> well, you know, I don't, I don't know if the original key man was that bad. It was pretty but terrible. It was pretty terrible. My, Go back and watch it. It was bad. My wife has two DVDs and each one has three Christmas specials on it. So there's Frosty and Rudolph. There's one with like mice and uh, Twas a Night Before Christmas. And it's totally like an allegory for like science versus religion. And I was like, wow, I do not remember this as a kid at all. Um, it's what it's it's I always just say Rankin Bass, but it's it's yeah. Rankin, <laughs> uh, Rankin Bass or whatever. And yep. the and the He-Man Christmas special is on there. And it is so amazingly bad. Like I my kids want to watch it like no come on let's watch it. i was like you can watch it i will not I, it's I, I watched it once that's enough for a 20 year span <laughs> it, yeah i mean they're just not good they're not good at all and the remakes they've done of them are, are so superior and i know a lot of people are like oh, i don't know i'm like just you know take off those rose-colored glasses of nostalgia and actually like watch them for what they are they're far superior they changed the way the skeleton they changed the way Skeletor looks, and I don't know how I feel about that. Um, ah, get over it. <laughs> it's, it's so much better, you know? Uh, I it, haven't had a chance to watch the Kevin Smith E-Man series yet. No, not yet. Um, Me but I, I think I watched like, the first couple episodes, and it, it, it's starting to tell a, a pretty crazy story. It just didn't make sense to me that, like, you know, three weeks later they came out with a completely different version of it, too. But, anywho. Uh, can't it's talk Kevin, about it's Kevin, it's, Ke it's, it's Kevin Smith, so I'm going to support it. Yeah, Aven yeah eventually. eventually. Yeah. I mean, a lot of his stuff is, uh, you know, hit or miss. Especially, again, we talk about that looking back sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, when was the last time you watched Chasing Amy? I've, so during pandemic, we basically had a family uh, move in. They moved in next door and they came and they were in our house seven days a week and we ate dinner together five nights a week. Um, and we talked about Kevin Smith's um, body of work, especially, you know, the first four or five films heavily. Um, and we talked about watching Chasing Amy because the, the woman in that couple had never watched it. Um, but we, we just never got around to it. But It's pretty cringy. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, watching it now, like it's pretty cringy. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff where you're just like, "Damn it, Ben Affleck, just shut up." Like this isn't a big deal. This isn't an issue. Yeah, and you making it a big deal makes the viewers make it a big deal. Yeah, it's it's and pretty. It, I mean, it's it's a it's a movie of its time. Yeah. And I'm not saying you know, and so I'm not saying it's you know, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, "Oh, the '90s were awesome in every single way." Like, there's a there's a lot of cringe to the 90s, no, you know, but we definitely weren't there yet and we're still not, but no. we're 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 making progress. I mean, like that movie super cringy. I I went back and watched uh the first American Pie movie. Oh, I can just imagine. And it is not good. Yeah. It is not good at all. Uh yeah, it's I think we, we watched it at the last shop I was at, and I think we got about 10 minutes into it, and we were just like, holy crap, I can't believe we thought this was good. And it's Or, like, it's or just, okay. Yeah, or even, yeah, okay to watch. I mean, there's it's pretty crazy how much toxic masculinity was just embedded into every aspect of pop culture. Yeah. You know, and it's like, Ugh, and like how okay so many people were with it. I guess we weren't really okay with it, but. No, but we didn't call it out. Yeah. And I'm proud that we're finally getting to a point where yeah. it's becoming commonplace to call that out. Um, And in my place of work, it's becoming something that's like, it's a talking point. And yeah. we specifically make space for that conversation. That's awesome. Um, and it is it is really cool. Um, you collect shit. You have a lot of stuff that I can see behind you right now. Yes. Um, VHSs, <laughs> VHSs, not the least of which. So, what's collecting VHS like? Um, it's it's fun, man. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Have you paid a lot of money for any VHSs? Absolutely not. You see, it's, it's, it's a couple bucks a piece. I think the most I've spent on any single transaction or any, I think the most I've spent on any single tape is about five bucks. Okay. Or uh, uh, maybe 10 bucks, you know, um, but it was something I really, really wanted. Um, do you have anything that you could, that you could sell if you wanted to for a fair amount? Or do you think no. that's someday? Maybe? Um, so, okay. Sorry. So this is like an issue in the VHS collecting community. Um, so there are legitimately tapes that are worth a lot of money. Okay. And, um, their value is based off of, uh, again, just the amount made. And, um, and it's not the tapes that are being sold for a lot of money. Um, so there's a, there's like this big conspiracy with like the black diamond, um, Disney tapes. Okay. That there's this like one run of Disney tapes where the logo existed within this black diamond. And for some reason or another, those are the most valuable versions of those tapes. And it is an absolute crock because we're talking about Disney here and they've never done a limited run on anything. <laughs> you know, um, they might tell you it's a limited run. Like, oh, it's coming out of the vault for the first time in years before oh, it gets that. locked back up into the vault. Um, the whole reason why that exists is because if Disney was to constantly print every single movie they've ever made in succession, they'd be constantly printing 
movies, you know? So it's like, they're like, they're just going to, they do, they do batches. So it's like, oh, I'm, this movie, this I'm, movie's coming I'm out. Noticing, I'm noticing Robin Hood behind you. And when Disney yes. Plus came out, that was one of the first things that I watched. Uh, first thing I watched on Disney Plus was Brink, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, What's Brink? Brink? Oh, man. I'm going to go Brink find out, aren't is, I? Uh, it's an inline skating movie. Yes. Okay. And the Suicide Machines are on the soundtrack. That's Say no more. That's all that's I all need I'm to hear. That's all I'm going to say about it. It's all I'm gonna, oh. Inline skating and Suicide Machines are on the soundtrack. Anywho, back to DVD or VHS. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So, like, this now, like, tape grading is a thing. Where, like, like, in people, terms like, of... You know, condition yeah so like you know there's like comic book grading like they, they grade the condition of your comic book sure you know so like so they're, they're doing this now with vhs tapes and it's such a load of baloney um because again like uh, the tapes that are you're a dad <laughs> um you know like they're saying like oh you know these tapes are worth more because they're still sealed um you're because it's sealed you can't actually check to see if the tape has mold in it or anything like that um, whereas a comic book, you can flip through the pages and see if there's mold on it. Anywho, um, but it's it's such a load of baloney. Uh, it's such a crock, and it's it's people just trying to jump onto the bandwagon of VHS collecting, which I feel like has become more and more popular over the past few years. Um, but like, there's entire VHS communities online where the most they're selling tapes for, like typically you can buy tapes for like you know, a dollar a tape. Okay. And then you end up spending more in shipping and handling than you do for the actual tapes. Um, but then the tapes that are like in the five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollar realm, they're like those B, C, D level horror movies that I was talking about earlier. Because there's really not that many. In very, very limited runs, uh, were not kept by any means. Um, I mean, I were my brother worked at Blockbuster during that initial changeover from. VHS to DVD. Oh, I thought you were going to say the changeover from mega movies to blockbuster. (laughs) Uh, So like the first, so when they had to make room for the DVDs, they would clear out some of their VHSs. And the first sections they would clear out were, I don't know if you remember how blockbusters were set up, but you would go into blockbuster and all the new releases would be on that outside wall. And then in the middle of the store would be the drama, action, you know, the genre films that were a little bit older. So the first things they cleared out were those older genre films that were the throwbacks to the days of, you know, like direct to VHS video movies, you know, the made for VHS, made for rental kind of market. And what they did was they would just toss them in the fucking dumpster. Yeah, because they figured nobody wanted it. You know, these movies are getting 100 times destroyed. My brother, luckily... Like he saw free movies and like ended up bringing a bunch home. So for a time, I actually had a pretty awesome VHS collection that is unfortunately we just delayed the getting tossed into a dumpster. <laughs> uh, but so I'm, I find myself actually going. My my goal in collecting is actually going back and getting those old movies. Like I collect what is called commons, okay. quote unquote commons. I'm doing air quotes on a podcast. Um, <laughs> It's called "quote unquote" commons, and it's 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 big budget movies that were released on VHS. Um, hmm. I do have some like less common tapes um, that aren't as big names, but I mean, for the most part, I I collect what I like. I you think know? that's that that's and crucial. That's, that's true about pretty much anything that I collect. Um, 
I mean, I've never grabbed a tape off of a shelf faster than I did when I saw Love Actually. I noticed that one up there earlier too. Uh, it's yeah, it's a it's a selling point. It's a, it's a prize piece. Um, I mean, my crown jewel, the thing that I my my unicorn, my whatever you want to call it, my my great white bu- what a buffalo, whatever it is. Yep, is <laughs> is Showdown Little Tokyo. Okay. <laughs> Uh, a movie that they just recently put back on HBO, so I watched at least seven or eight times. I fucking love that movie. Um, but like, I know, uh, like I had some checklists in my mind that I needed to get off when I first started collecting VHS. And I mean, I still have a couple that I want to get. Um, there's one more Harry Potter movie that was released on VHS that I don't have yet. And okay. That is the third movie was still like VHS was still being put out when that movie came out. And so the third was the last one. The third was the last VHS movie. The last Harry Potter came out on VHS. Um, I want to get uh, a history of violence. Okay, That's that sick. was the last widely released VHS movie. Really? Yeah, VHS was still being released up until about 2007, and allegedly, I don't know. Again, I don't know how true this is. It seems I, you know, pretty verifiable sources. But a history of violence was the last major motion picture release on a sort of wide release on VHS. All right. So it'd be cool to have history of violence. Um, yeah, so I mean, pretty much my whole buying of D- VHS just kind of goes back to how it was when I was a kid. You know, I pick if I if a cover looks cool, I'll get into it. You know, sure. I mean, so that's that's I spent hours at Tower Records just looking at covers. <laughs> you know, so a small question and a big question. Small yeah. question: Do you or does anyone ever? low temperature bake your tapes to like boost the magnetic uh signal it's a thing i promise you it's a thing (laughs) i I know nothing about this okay so yeah so so it's a it's a metallic tape and so it's a so you 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 basically you magnetize the metal tape and so that's how you're creating the the waveform that's on there the information Mm. that's on there and over time that fades and so mm. if you low temperature and it's probably like 140 degrees or something, mm-hmm. uh, bake it, you will boost that signal. Um, mm. But it's really hard because most oven, most commercial, mo- most residential ovens, you can't set it to go lower than 200. And yeah. so you'll melt the plastic components yeah. uh, if you try. I had an iPod shuffle once that I wore during a 5K and I poured water over my head and fried it, and I tried to put it in the oven at the lowest temperature that it would, and I I melted a, an iPod <laughs> shuffle. Um, I, have a, I have a copy of Jerry Maguire that I'll have to try that with. That's cool. Why? Because it's like... No, Jerry Maguire is my tester tape. Ah, okay. So then my big question is, do you have a VCR? <laughs> and I did. How, how many VCRs do you have, and where do you get them? Uh, I had a VCR... I stole it from my parents' house. I didn't really steal it. I asked them if they still had it, and they said yes, so I took it. <laughs> uh, it was the same VCR that I had growing up for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, they had It was just sitting in their basement. I tested it out when I was at their house last, and I put on a tape, and I saw the coming soon like to VHS and home video, and I got really excited, and just this wave of nostalgia washed over me, and I felt really great for like five minutes. I brought it into the shop because I was going to set up a VCR in the shop. Uh, my, my dream is to like have a VCR in here 
Yep. So like I can have like my customers come in and be like, hey, well, I can go, you know, you want to rent the movie while you're watching while you're getting tattooed? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but so I brought it here. I set it all up. I tried to clean the heads on it and it fucking broke. Yeah. So now I don't have a VCR. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of getting a new one. And by in the process, I mean, I'm checking eBay every once in a while. Uh, they're, they're expensive, some, man. Some of them are expensive. And I, I basically asked the audience on Facebook one day and I was like, yo, does anybody have a VCR that they want to sell me for cheap? I'll pay the shipping. Like yeah. I'll pay you. Um, cause I'd rather like give a medium sized amount of money to somebody I know than yeah. a large amount of money to somebody who's like driving up the cost of VCRs on eBay. Yeah. Um, and I had like two or three people be like, Oh yeah, I totally got you. And that's, it's been a couple months and none of them have <laughs> come to fruition yet. So we'll I mean, see. You can, they're going for about like anywhere from like 60 to over a hundred dollars on eBay. And it's, I have, and, I have a couple tapes. Some are personal tapes that are yeah. like, you know, home movies. And yeah. I also have eight millimeters. So that's my next challenge. And I have a VCR that I've transported with me from living place to living place to living place. <laughs> yeah. And it moved to Puerto Rico with me. And I bought the Roxio converter to like hook it up to USB and put a tape in. And that VCR doesn't work at all. So, <laughs> yeah. So. And broke uh, I would my love heart. to get a TV VCR combo. That would be sick. Because I feel like those came out a little bit later in the game, so they're a little bit more sturdy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had one in my room growing up, and like in high school and in college, that like I wish I never got rid of. Um, I kept a copy of the Big Lebowski in the VCR aspect of it all the time, mm. just because. You know, it was just fun because, like, you know, I come home from a late night of put on like shenanigans Big and just watch 15 minutes of the Big Lebowski before I fell asleep, and then it would run its course and it rewind while I was sleeping. Yeah, you know, wake up in the morning, watch a little bit of a Big Lebowski, and head off to school. It's true. That's a it's a beautiful that's a beautiful memory. <laughs> but yeah, man, like, uh, I yeah, I'd love to get a VCR, um, but I I collect them. They, they will be watched eventually. I would love to start watching again, but I also collect them because, again, physical media is going the way of the Buffalo, and I just, it's such a cool thing, cool memory to have of, like, I mean, so much of my formative years were spent going to, I'm going to, I'm going to drop a throwback on you, see if you remember it. Please do. Royal Video in Belmore on uh -huh. Sunrise Highway. Yep, in, the, in, in, in the shopping center. Yep, I used to walk there as a kid because I Makes lived that sense. close to it, and I would spend hours just looking at VHS covers and video game covers, and like so much of my time was spent. And then uh, when I was able to start driving, going to Tower Records, and the same thing, just like walking through Tower Records and like looking at movie covers and CD covers, and I mean, like I discovered my favorite band of all time. Is rancid, and like I, like seventh grade, I'm at Tower Records, and I'm walking through the store, and I mean this is only something that you can do at a store, and you know I was aware of what punk was, you know like Offering had come out by then, Green Day had come out by then, so I knew what punk was. So I'm like looking through, and I see this this little, little plastic placard card that says rancid, and 
this was back in the day when like Tower Records had their art department. So I think someone took the time to draw an anarchy symbol as the A. Cool. Uh, and I was like, cool. <laughs> and I picked up. Tell me more. Uh, I picked up Let's Go. Oh, okay. Like, I thought you were going to say Outcome of the Wolves, but that was a little later. Yeah, that was later. Um, I picked up the cover of Let's Go and I looked at it and I was like, this is a cool looking cover. And I turned it over and I saw a picture of that picture on the back cover of Rancid. And it's like Lars and Matt and uh, Tim and um, the drummer. I forget the drummer's name. And I just remember thinking, like, I don't know what this is, but this is what I'm into from now on. Yeah, and that's I a look. picked it up on like blind faith, and like to this day is one of my favorite records of all time. And then you know, obviously, I got Malcolm the Wolves, and um, like that cover is so iconic to me too. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that's how that was how I got into tattooing too, is seeing punk bands, you know, like that's like, I always knew that I wanted to get tattooed. Like from a very early age, I wanted to be, I wanted to get tattooed. But then like, once I started like getting into punk and going to shows, I mean, the first time I ever saw like a full sleeve was at a show on Long Island. You know, I sure. distinctly remember like, like Vinnie Caruana had that, that awesome <laughs> sleeve um, yep. of gambling stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, that's so cool. You know? And, like just seeing people with tattoos at the shows and like seeing people like these full sleeves and like neck. The first time I saw a neck tattoo in real life was on a show. And so like I always knew that I wanted to be tattooed. Um, but it was like through punk rock and through music and through all that stuff that I then kind of found my way into the tattooing community. Through the culture. Yeah. You know, tattooing was kind of like an extension of the, the punk culture. So, yeah, I forgot what rancid let's go looks like. So I pulled it up. And I love that it's like the, at first I thought it was like the old P-Touch machine, but it's like mm -hmm. typewriter cut out pieces, like mm -hmm. white paper on a, a black back, a red background. And it's, it's cool looking. I, I like it. it. It evokes a certain something. Yep. But then you, you see that picture of them, like all hanging out by that old car on the back. Yep. You're like, okay, yep. This is it. This is me from now on. And you, uh, you, you evoked a huge nostalgia too in just mentioning that video stores rented video games mm -hmm. and that can send me down a whole <laughs> alley. Mm -hmm. Um, we do have to wrap it up. Um, I, I do have another question, What's but and if, if we could end on something tattoo related. Okay. Uh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You got any good like stories of like, maybe like the oldest person that you gave them their first tattoo or like just a person who like was super against getting a tattoo, but also really wanted one at the same time. And you had to like watch them like so, fight themselves. Right. So, so I'm going to tell two stories real quick. Cool. Um, so when I was in college, this is before I got into tattooing, I went to a, a, a quote unquote Catholic school. I went to a Catholic college. It wasn't actually a Catholic school because they couldn't get state funding if they were a Catholic school, but they had nuns for teachers, so it was a Catholic school. Um, I had one teacher who taught history. Uh, her name was Sister Frances Daniels. We called her Franny Danny for short. And uh, I had just gotten my arm, like my forearm tattooed. And I got, like, I have these four stars kind of going around my forearm. And I mean, Back in 2000, when this happened, that was a big deal. Like, I got tattooed below the unemployment line, as it were. Um, and I walked into class, because, like, you know, the, the elbow down was, like, the unemployment line. 
I walked into the class and Sister Franny Danny saw my tattoo and I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I was like, really? She's like, yes. She's like, if I could, I would totally get tattooed. I was like, Franny Danny, go for it. I'm pretty sure you're allowed to get tattooed. So that's my story. It's kind of, uh, you know, just a, a nun commenting on how cool my tattoos were. So that's what I'm going to get as far as answering your question. But the second thing I want to say is before we get, uh, we finish up here is... I just wanted to make sure that before this interview was finished, I gave a huge shout out of appreciation to my wife because she is probably the biggest and she doesn't get anywhere near as much credit in my life as I hope that she would ever get. Um, but she is such a huge influence on my tattooing and my, my designs and stuff like that. I mean, she is, my wife's Puerto Rican. She's from Long Island. She lacks the ability to not be honest with me. Nice. <laughs> so like anytime i ever like anytime i'm like worried about how design looks i, I always show it to her i'm like what do you think of this and she's brutally honest with me and she tells me it's either good or it's crap so if you've ever been tattooed by me specifically if i've ever tattooed a dagger on you thank my wife for your dagger handle not looking like a penis okay well <laughs> now i want a dagger okay well you know i'll make sure to run it by her to make sure the handle doesn't look like a penis Okay. Because dagger handles lean inherently towards looking like penises very easily. Now I feel like I, I want to pick up a pen tonight and try and draw a dagger to see how it comes out. Specifically the handle of the dagger. <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, yeah, I, just, I wanted to make sure that I, I gave my wife credit for being such a great influence on my career and my, my life as a whole. I think if it wasn't for her, I'd probably be, I don't know, in a corner somewhere, still drinking 40s, but yeah. She saved my I'm life, though. So. Well, I, I thank her as well, because it seems like you're you're doing well for yourself and you're you're happy and you love what you do. And I think that's an important thing. And right. I c couldn't be happier than to see that. I mean, anyone that knew me 15 or 20 years ago, I don't know if they'd uh, <laughs> have maybe seen this story unfolding, but it also kind of makes sense. Yeah. But it's just it's good as opposed to all of the other parallel universes. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, dude. So, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Lonnie. You're the best. Thank you, Lonnie. <laughs> um, it's a genuine pleasure, dude. And uh, I'm going to have to find my way to... Uh, do you get mad if I call where you live upstate? Uh, I don't get mad. <laughs> you, <laughs> but you, you don't, but would the locals, the people who grew up there... They'll point out that it's not upstate New York. When I first moved out here, I was like, man, I can't believe I live in upstate New York. And everyone's like, slow down, buddy. All right? yeah you're not you're not there yet i mean this is cool because out of like 14 interviews i've now had two from is it central new york would that yep, be the central more york, appropriate yep. um yeah so now i've had I, i've had two from there so yeah i mean the the guy you interviewed from homer he's uh that's the next town over that's cool yeah well i'm gonna have to find my way up there and we could all hang out and yes i don't think there's anything wrong with drinking 40s <laughs> I haven't had one. I actually wanted to have one on my 40th birthday, and I guess they don't sell 40s in Puerto Rico because I couldn't find one, try as I might. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> cool, dude. Well, one love uh, to you, Pleasure, your wife, uh, your kid, and you know, I hope all is well, and uh, thanks for talking to us today. You too, buddy, man. Thanks for having me. It was great. Check out Get Rad Tattoos. Thanks, and the name of the shop is... Mostly harmless tattoos. Mostly harmless in uh in in Cortland. Cortland, New York. Yep. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, bro.
Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Be well.